this is not a typical runoff. In the general election, uh, a little over a million absentee, like a million point something absentee ballots were requested. Already now, a month before this election, uh, between 900,000 and a million absentee ballots have been requested. Okay? So move away from typical. This is not typical. This is the path to getting some decent health care. This is the path to getting the pandemic addressed in Georgia. These elections are life and death. The, the slogan still stands, vote like your lives depended on it, because they do. Those are the things that touch home for people here. Welcome to The Women. I'm your host, Rose Reed. Every episode, I sit down with one person who has journeyed to do the extraordinary. And I'm doing a mini season all about my home state of Georgia, featuring the brazen and badass women who are on the ground. They're the ones who are gonna shape this January 5th election and determine its outcome, control of the Senate. On this episode, I'm speaking with a Democrat, and next episode, I'll be speaking with a Republican. I feel that both sides of the aisle are getting so polarized in the media, and I want to share the key local issues that are driving record turnout in the state for the January 5th runoff. So today, I'm speaking with the veteran Democratic State Senator Nan Orrock. I'm Nan Grogan Orrock. I'm a state senator here in Georgia representing constituents in Atlanta. Uh, East Point College Park in Hapeville. I have worked in politics my entire life, and we are deeply enmeshed at this point in time. All Democrats are on high alert working uh, toward uh, victory on January 5th to send two Democratic senators to the U.S. Senate. Nan has been in the Georgia legislature for over 30 years. She's got deep leadership roots. In the 80s, she created the first Women's Caucus in the state legislature, and she worked really closely with John Lewis and more recently with Stacey Abrams. You may recall Nan shared her incredible story last season, and if not, definitely go back and check out episode six. Nan talks all about growing up in the Jim Crow South and her awakening to politics when she got her start in the civil rights movement. Well, that was the fateful summer of 63, the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Uh, The government was closed down that day. Uh, The radio talk was full of how dangerous it was going to be. I mean, literally, people were on their front porches in Washington with shotguns. They emptied out the hospitals and uh, jail cells. They were on high alert at all of the military uh, installations around Washington. I didn't view it that way, and I was not deterred from going by all that was on the radio. But by then, you know, the horse was out of the barn, uh, as they say. I was galloping down the road. It's one thing to see it dimly on the news. It doesn't penetrate your white. you having a blinders on about what's the full picture here and, and who's doing what to whom. But it was that day that I, that I came to thoroughly to grips with the fact that I had been miseducated. Nan is someone who loves to laugh. She loves to sing. She's a good friend. And sometimes we sit on the porch, no joke, and drink tea and shuck peas, or she shucks peas. I'm not kidding. She is not an idle woman. COVID has moved our porch schmoozing to Zoom hangs. And on a recent call, I asked to get her perspective on what's at stake for the Georgia Democrats when it comes to this upcoming election. 
Republican incumbent David Perdue is being challenged by new progressive John Ossoff, and Republican incumbent Kelly Loeffler is being challenged by Reverend Raphael Warnock. You know, Nan, because I know you so well, I feel like to know you is to understand why this is your calling. But for people who maybe haven't met you before, how do you describe why you do what you do? I became active as a very young person, and I was motivated and encouraged to join the March on Washington in 1963 when I was doing a summer job with government. From there on, I really committed myself to be on the right side of history because that day uh, revealed to me how miseducated I was as a Southern white female and um, all that I had to learn and all that I did not know and uh, my deep, deep uh, ignorance around the plight of uh, African-Americans in America. I stepped into SNCC. I worked in the Deep South in the summer of 64 and, and then was led from there to the anti-war movement, to the uh, women's movement, to the trade union movement, and uh, really developed skills as an organizer. I've found many ways to do that uh, since 1964. It's a a great span of time. Uh, And I've been in the House or the Senate of the Georgia legislature as as a leading progressive there for some 34 years. And so that's why I do what I do. I understand that people can change history, shape history, and that people together can be a decisive force in uh, moving us forward. So collective action, strategic work together, a building broad movement is the pathway to change. Uh, Frankly, I think that lesson is as important now as ever for people to learn it, to absorb it, and to act on it. I think so many people are revitalized in their civic action in 2020. One of the things that I really thought that you could do for our listeners because of your your lifelong experience as an activist and also as a state legislature, I thought maybe you could really help set the stage for people who are curious what is going on in Georgia and what this what this election really means and what's at stake. The first thing I want to ask you is um, if you can kind of give us a lay of the land of Georgia. How many people are in Georgia? How many counties are there? Could you just give us an idea of, of what, of Georgia kind of in that broad strokes? My father was born uh, and raised in deep South Georgia. His dad was a sharecropper and the family of 11 kids really came up in depression times. And Georgia has become transformed since then. Georgia is an interesting and unique place. In my time in the legislature, over 34 years, it grew from, I believe, 5 million to 10 and a half uh, million uh, population. And so much of that is in Atlanta. Exponential growth. And it's half of the voters in the state are in the metro Atlanta region. They're north of the Nat line, as they say down south. Nats are little things that buzz around and annoy you. Uh, I guess they're all <laughs> over the country, but the Nat line—they're infamous in South Georgia for the for the biting gnats. But above the Nat line, the top half of the state is where the population continues to swell and grow, and and there's great population loss in the uh, rural counties, many of which comprise the old plantation black belt counties of the South. So there's been a huge population growth. And that means there are many, 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 many more people here that uh, did not grow up with the Confederate flag flapping outside their county courthouse. 
we had a huge up increase in the Latinx population uh, around the Olympics because of the buildings and construction and work that was there. We have always had a Hispanic population that came from the our largest industries, agriculture, and uh, there's a workforce that's been coming here regularly, uh, migrant labor, uh, for uh, untold years to harvest all those crops to work in, in that massive agricultural setting. And we have a growing Asian-American population. So we have an, a significant a new infusion of people from outside the state. We have one of the largest African-American populations in the country. We're at the 33% African-American population. And, uh, and I've seen that grow from the high 20s over the last decade or two. And um, the African-American population, is it growing in the metro area as well? Well, that's where it's growing. Uh, but there is a historic black population in the, in the Black Belt counties. And when you say Black Belt, what do you mean? Uh, black Belt refers to a number of things, but rich black soil of the South that gave rise to cotton. Uh, but, but it's also the Black Belt counties are counties that stretch along the plantation belt those sweeping big arable lands that grown huge crops that amassed countless uh, millions of dollars. And the planter class ran the show and the enslaved African-Americans did the work. And, and so when the Civil War began and ended, we had many counties in the South where the black population outnumbered the white population because there's this massive uh, number of enslaved people working uh, under the uh, plantation system. And those are the ancestors of black populations today uh, in those counties that sweep across the South uh, from Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, up through Georgia, on up into Virginia. So we've had an influx growth of the population here, and we've had an influx. And Atlanta is viewed as a mecca nationally for uh, in the eyes of African-American people, because here's where in Atlanta, the first uh, big city in the country elected a black mayor, and that was Maynard Jackson a historic leader here who modernized the airport and brought affirmative action and equal access to jobs in, in some of the big public construction projects that he led. So the makeup is an influx of immigrants and all kinds of people retiring to the Southland and African-Americans coming home and uh, the natural normal population growth of a state that's been booming now for uh, many decades. So that's that's our demographic Look, and I believe, I, I don't know if it's by 2030, we'll be majority minority. And uh, there's been the, the, the great schism here that happened with the Reagan Southern strategy, and that is to split the whites. The, the, I was raised in a family, in a white Southern family that was uh, FDR Democrats. And that was absolutely a pronounced phenomenon of the South. The South sent uh, Democratic senators to Congress, et cetera. And all that's changed with the Southern strategy. They pulled white people in massive numbers out of the Democratic Party with a racist narrative. When Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act, he said the, the Democrats have lost the South for the next 25 years. That's what he said then. He knew his people well. And yes, there's been a concerted effort to exploit racial division here and have it serve the interests of politics. I want to ask you about how you see that play out in the state legislature. When we talk about the population, we see over 10 million Georgians. Um, what does that mean in terms of voter turnout and what impressed upon you in this last election? Well, in terms of voter turnout, 
we have uh, had very high turnout. There's been a concerted effort led by Stacey Abrams over the last 10 years to build the infrastructure to go and get the voters that have been left out of the equation. That is all across the state to get the young people, to get African-American people, other people of color uh, and progressive whites together voting uh, in alliance uh, for progressive agenda for the state. And why right now are there two Senate seats up for grab in Georgia? Yeah, we had a one long-serving senator with health issues retired early before his term ended, and that created a special election to fill the seat of Johnny Isaacson. That's the seat that Reverend Raphael Warnock is uh, seeking to fill and is running against Kelly Leffler. Now, so that's an odd situation to have two senators at once. The um, incumbent David Perdue is being challenged by John Ossoff, the Democrat, uh, because Purdue served six years and his term is up and he has to run again. The other, on the other hand, Kelly Leffler was appointed by the governor to fill the Johnny Isaacson seat. And the one of the reasons that we're seeing them both on January 5th is because uh, one of them was too close to call. So we had a special election for Kelly Leffler and Raphael Warnock, but we're seeing a runoff because... Ossoff and Purdue were too close to call. And in Georgia, there's a law that uh, you have to have a runoff if the numbers get too close. Is that right? You have to get 50% plus one. And there were three candidates in that race. Or a libertarian, there was a libertarian. And that was uh, uh, enough to deny the 50% plus one to, to Purdue. So uh, they, were, they were within a point or two of each other, uh, both below 50%, the Ossoff-Purdue race. Right. These two Senate seats... Uh, will determine who has control in the Senate. So if President-elect Biden has two Democrats from Georgia, that's right. he will be in a much different position than if he has two or even one of the seats, Republican, uh, that will give the Republicans a majority in the Senate. And just to just to give us a better understanding, I'm curious how this has trickled down to the state legislature. You know, you have kind of a unique position as a Democratic state senator. What does this mean for you and your job when you like go to bed at night and you're thinking of your dream world? Or, you know, what does what does January 5th mean to you personally? Well, the outcome of that election determines what party is in control of the U.S. Senate and whether we have a unified government in Washington with Democratic control of the White House and both chambers, the House and the Senate. That means everything about what we're able to get done in Georgia uh, policy-wise. For example, our, our uh, Medicaid, we're one of those recalcitrant states that didn't expand Medicaid, really did not cooperate with the Affordable Care Act. And this governor has gotten the Trump administration to approve cockamamie health policy that says to get Medicaid, you've got to go get a job, which has never been the uh, standard. We won't go into all of the health policy, how bad that is, but that's one example of millions and millions and millions of dollars that we would get into the state of Georgia's economy and into our health care system uh, by getting it straight with the federal administration and the authorities uh, as Democrats can work with the situation here to make this Republican governor do the right thing. And what we've seen uh, Rose, is that with these ridiculous Trump challenges, 
Uh, they're down here filing lawsuits almost daily. Uh, you describe this as the epicenter of the political universe right now, and it's true. The ludicrous law team of Trump campaign is down here every day filing lawsuits and challenging the legitimacy of the election. There have been uh, threats of violence against Republican officials because Trump and Leffler and Purdue are, are challenging the election results, that silly narrative of Donald Trump's that, that he won Georgia and not Biden. And so there's a fringy crowd that's sending death threats, picketing Republican officials' houses, the, the folks that are responsible for counting the votes and certifying the votes. They're Republicans. They're GOPers. So you have enormous uh, upheaval right now inside the Republican Party, and we are positioning ourselves to elect Stacey Abrams as the governor of this state in 2022. She only lost by 50,000 votes against this governor in 2018. And so that pathway to the governor's mansion, which would be transformative in Georgia to uh, have Stacey Abrams as our governor, will be enhanced by uh, winning these two Senate seats. And um, that can happen in 2022. We've got the infrastructure that helped deliver the state to Biden and, and help create these, uh, ru- this runoff opportunity. And where is the tension if, you know, one of the things that I'm thinking about is why is there so much tension about whether these Senate seats will go blue or red when the state has gone for Biden, when there's been more than 12,000 votes difference? Uh, well, b- b- because Biden won here with a tiny margin. And he won here, and part of the ingredients were the fact of this massive distaste and distrust of Donald Trump. And people, the suburban vote shifted over to the Democratic side, and it's it's measurable. Uh, the experts have, have crunched the numbers. We know that that was a particular set of circumstances. It, we can't take it for granted. We didn't win a massive number of seats in the House and Senate. I think we won one seat in each chamber. Uh, the Democrats did. So we didn't make uh, exponential gains in our seats in the, in the Senate and the House, which is a, a measure of the fact that we are not on solid ground, that we're solidly blue. Do you think that Georgia voters are motivated by what's at stake? Because historically, runoffs have been very tough for Democrats to win in Georgia. We don't necessarily see the same kind of momentum for voter turnout. And the voter turnout that we have seen historically in Georgia has gone red. What are you seeing right now? Well, the voter turnout delivered a a Democratic presidential victory here, you know, a a historic three-decade long uh, changing of the course. But we all know that runoffs can be really different than general elections. This is not a typical runoff. In the general election, uh, a little over a million absentee, like a million point something absentee ballots were requested. Already now, a month before this election, uh, between 900,000 and a million absentee ballots have been requested. Okay? So move away from typical. This is not typical. This is the path to getting some decent health care. This is a path to getting the pandemic addressed in Georgia. These elections are life and death. The, the slogan still stands, vote like your lives depended on it, because they do. Those are the things that touch home for people here. After the break, we get Nan's take on the candidates, and she doesn't hold back.
folks in Georgia are inundated with ads inundated. I feel like I can't turn on my car without hearing an ad that's about a specific candidate or getting out the vote. One popular ad is by Democratic candidate Raphael Warnock. If elected, he would be the first African-American senator from Georgia. He's the pastor of Ebenezer Church, the same church where Martin Luther King Jr. was also a pastor. Raphael Warnock eats pizza with a fork and knife. Raphael Warnock once stepped on a crack in the sidewalk. Raphael Warnock even hates puppies. Get ready, Georgia. The negative ads are coming. Kelly Leffler doesn't want to talk about why she's for getting rid of health care in the middle of a pandemic. Right. We, uh, I've known Reverend Warnock for 15 years. We're blessed to have this man uh, running for this Senate seat. He came up hard. He was one of 11 children raised in the projects in Savannah, Georgia. His mother picked cotton in the summer. His father uh, hauled, hauled junk and uh, was a lay pastor. They were gritting it out. And this, this is the man who went and got all the way to uh, earning a Ph.D. in an Ivy League school and uh, coming home to preach in Dr. King's family church. He is an, an incredible human being and will always be there for the right reasons and knows the lives of ordinary people up, up against this multimillionaire who is spouting vicious. Right. Kelly, Loff- Kelly Loeffler, I think, is one of the richest people in the Senate right now, if that's if I'm not mistaken. You're, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. She bought herself a jet, you know, to get back and forth to Washington. And she enriched herself, Purdue and, and Loeffler. They both got the secret briefings that, uh, in January up at the Senate about the nature of this virus and what we was coming at us. Immediately, within hours and the next few days, they moved millions and millions of dollars in stocks around to divest themselves from the industries that were going to be hurt by the pandemic and invest in the sector of the economy that's going to be roaring the uh, companies that build uh, PPE. So, so, so they, so both Purdue and Leffler lied to Georgians, backed Trump all the way with his false narrative about the virus. The virus not being worse than the flu, for example. Exactly. Just a bad case of the flu. And the, and, and, and we have them on record saying all those things. At the same time, they were doing stock. They were trading their stocks, cashing in, and making millions to line their already richly laden pockets. And then John Ossoff is a young man. I've known him since uh, the day he was born. <laughs> well, perhaps Senator Perdue would have been able to respond properly to the COVID-19 pandemic if you hadn't been fending off multiple federal investigations for insider trading. It's not just that you're a crook, Senator. It's that you're attacking the health of the people that you represent. You did say- He was born in my district. He is an incredibly intelligent, committed, passionate, progressive person and would be an enormous asset in Washington. His wife is a young doctor here in our public health system down at Grady Hospital. And um, he's deeply committed to the battle for health care and to getting the leadership in Washington to address the needs of the nation and the needs of Georgia in fighting this pandemic. One of the things that I find really fascinating about uh, Reverend Warnock are his campaign ads, which are getting a lot of traction and maybe some surprising demographics. I have a friend who's, whose Nana is a 
longtime Republican who, because of his ads, feels energized and is really inspired to support Warnock. And uh, I think that that's really exciting. What do you think will be the decisive factors for turnout and for supporting these two Democratic candidates, Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff? So this is the biggie. Duly elected Republican officials in Georgia charged with running the election are saying the election was not fraudulent. We've counted the votes three times. Joe Biden won Georgia. And all those election officials all across the state of Georgia, you think that they're not watching this? Their integrity is being challenged? All that incredible hard work that people do down on the ground in 159 counties of this state? I wonder who they're going to vote for. I wonder who they're going to vote for. Are they going to vote for Leffler and Purdue, who are saying that, this, that, that the Secretary of State should be forced out of office? They're going to, they're going to have to think about that a minute. And plenty of them are Republicans. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's not small stuff. That's a that's a huge infrastructure out across the state of people who give their life's blood to run these elections, work long and hard, work tireless hours, and are and it's been pointed out all across the country over and over as Trump has attacked has attacked elections. So they're attacking the governor and the secretary of state here and the people that want you to vote for them. In, on January the 5th, are telling you that it was a fraudulent ele- election, that it's rigged. So how do you say that? And then you say, come out and vote on January 5th. They're in a, they're in a, they're in a little hot mess of their own making. That's a turnout question. And in, the, and in, your, in your history and, and, you know, spending 34 years in a mostly Republican-run legislature, have you seen this kind of faction among the GOP before? It's the deepest. There's always infighting among people with power, but this is profoundly dangerous for them because not not only the stakes are so high, the stakes are so high, two U.S. Senate seats, and they're down here mucking around doing what they've always done, which is kowtow to Trump. That's the only script that's open to you if you are a Republican without courage, you know, if you're taking the safe path, that's the only that's the only script you can. That's your playbook is kowtow to Trump. And so that's what they're doing. And uh, it, it couldn't happen to a nicer group of people. They're hoist on their own petard, as Shakespeare so eloquently put it. <laughs> never, never end. An, never leave an interview without quoting Shakespeare. Right. <laughs> without quoting the bard. Coming up, I try to get Nan to sing us a little song. That's after the break. You know, to kind of sign off, I was hoping for a quick round of truth or truth our lightning round here on the women. Uh, what's been your um, go-to relaxation cocktail during these uh, busy times? Well, actually, uh, you'll be interested to know that I I joined uh, Bourbon Women's Association. <laughs> and I'm going to attend a Zoom session of cooking with bourbon. <laughs> that's, that's next week. And it's online. Anybody can join. Bourbon Women's Association. 
no, so <laughs> if you ask me what my go-to drink is, I like bourbon. <laughs> it's very it's very commonplace in the South. <laughs> we got to add some neat bourbon to our uh, porch uh, pea shucking time. That's right. Some neat bourbon. Listen to you. What's a what's a song that you've been singing to lift your spirits up? I always think of you as a uh-huh. singer, and I'm wondering what's uh, what melody is in your mind. Well, that's a good question. Um, you're about to lose your job. You are about Have to you lose heard? your job. <laughs> you heard that? You about to <laughs> oh, yes, ma'am. <laughs> it just gets you up on your feet and gets you dancing. You're about to lose your job. <laughs> I've sung that a lot. I've watched that. I've watched that uh, video a lot. Man, Orak, the legend, the one and only. Thank you. Thank you, Rose Reed. It's been a pleasure. We did the Democratic version on this episode, and on the next episode, I sit down with Republican Janelle King. She shares the key issues driving Republican voters to the polls on January 5th and talks a little bit about what this election means to her. It may be the the major moment in my entire existence as of right now is to continue to try to push politics in the direction of the people and away from these dictatorship mentalities. I hope you're enjoying your holidays. Here's listener Beth Gula calling in to read this episode's credits. You can read the women credits by sending us an email at thewomenpod at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Beth Gula, calling from State College, Pennsylvania. The Women is a production of the host, Rose Reed. This episode was mixed by Adrian Lilly. Thanks to our team, Gail Reed and Nora Kipnis. A very special thanks to Wendy Zuckerman, Samantha Rita Vinya, Jen Shippon, Harley Bosco, and Clara Green. Ashley Fielding is a ray of light after a cloudy day. You can find the show on Instagram, at thewomenpod. If you have questions about voting in Georgia, visit georgia.gov. If you enjoyed this episode, you should totally tell a family member or a friend. There will be more episodes leading up to the January 5th elections about the key women on the ground. So check back in in a couple days. Okay, that's all for now. Bye.